You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Zachariah, Episode 3, with Walter Fite. We continue with our study on the book of Zechariah. And before we do that, let us just open in prayer. Heavenly Father, as always, we need your guidance. We need your presence. We need your spirit. And I pray that you will help us to understand what you are trying to tell us. Give us wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've discussed some of the prophecies in the book of Zechariah. And you will remember that in chapter 4, there was the vision of the candlestick and the sanctuary message, the light of the world, and the measure that was going to be applied, the plummet, and what is the standard of the measure. And we came to that in chapter 5, where you had the flying roll, and we looked at the dimensions of this flying roll, and how it compared with the, the porch of Solomon's temple, how it compared with the, the size of the angelic beings that covered the Ark of the Covenant. The standard of righteousness is the law of God. And this message flies through the midst of heaven, and uh, enters into the innermost sanctuary of the individual, as well as the institutions that uh, are to represent God on this earth. And then, in contrast with this perfect standard of righteousness, you have another measure, another standard. Uh, it's, a, it's a false measure. It's run by a church. And we looked at the possibilities of how this was to be understood and how the pioneers understood it. And we found that this was the standard that the church had set up in the place of God's commandments and how the religious systems of the world were going to take this standard, which is well, like the woman in Revelation chapter 13 that sets a false standard to the world. Chapter 17 of uh, Revelation, the great prostitute that sits on many waters that controls the political systems and the merchants of the world, the Roman Catholic system. And then we come to chapter 6. Now this is a very interesting chapter and uh, you can speculate a lot on what these things mean. And I've read a fair amount of what various people have to say. And uh, we, will, we will look at some of the possibilities, not being dogmatic about it, but just trying to, to couple these prophecies with the ones that we find in the book of Revelation. And... Uh, Prophecy has to always build on previous prophecy. So we've seen so far the law as the standard, a false set of standards being put up by the religious systems of the world. And then we come to the issues pertaining to the end. And after chapter 6, 
we find that the rest of the book of of Zechariah talks about uh, how God operates, setting up the kingdom of God, the latter rain that will fall, some of the issues and the conflicts that will arise. And uh, so we're coming to the very end of the controversy. So let's go through chapter 6 and see what we can glean uh, without being dogmatic about it. And I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came four chariots out from between two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of brass. In the first chariot were red horses, and in the second chariot, black horses, and in the third chariot, white horses, and in the fourth chariot, grizzled and bay horses. And then I answered and said unto the angel and talked with me, What are these, my lord? And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. So this is God's message that goes out. Sometimes God's message goes out in a pure form. Sometimes God's message goes out in a persecuted form. Sometimes God's message goes out in a, well, in a situation that is anything but uh, perfect. And uh, how does this fit into this prophecy? So let's start again. So he sees four chariots. And they come out between two mountains. And these are two mountains of brass. And between the two there is a valley. And out of this valley between the two mountains you see these horses taking the message to the world. Now what do these two mountains represent? And they're mountains of brass. So this was symbolic language. So these mountains are probably representing God's church in two time periods. But they are brass. Now brass is a metal that has been purified. And in the old days, pure brass was actually more valuable even than gold. Because it took a, a process of purification to get brass. So these are purified periods of God's kingdom. Now the only time in history when such a situation was actually present was in the early Christian church. When we compare that to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, then we will see that in all of these time periods the first uh, message that went out was also white and then it deteriorated and at the end of time, it would again uh, become prominent. And then finally, there must be a stage when the message goes out in a pure and unadulterated form again. So I assume that these two mountains are God's kingdom and that in two different time periods. Let's just look at a few verses which can give us a parallel text to show that the mountains are often associated with God's people, God's church, God's kingdom. We read in Micah chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. 
But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established on top of the mountains. So if a mountain is a kingdom, then the mountains represent various kingdoms, but the mountain of God, or the church of God, or his organization is also represented as a mountain. So the Lord shall establish it on top of the mountains over all the other kingdoms, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So although the false standard in the ephah had obliterated the truth of God's word and the requirements of justice, the message will go out again that it is God's law that is at the center of the controversy that has been raging for 6,000 years. Another parallel text we can find in Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7 where it says, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. So the mountain is equated with the house of prayer. So you have the mountain, the church. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for my house shall be called the house of prayer for all people. So this is a universal gospel. And we read in Daniel 9 verse 20, And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. So he quotes the people of God as the holy mountain of God. So we can assume that the two mountains that are of brass, that means they have been purified and they stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Just like Joshua the high priest was cleansed from all unrighteousness. So two time periods when the church stood clothed in the righteousness of God. And in between this valley. Now the message in the valley time. The first chariot was red horses. Now red is the color of sacrifice. It is associated with martyrdom. And in the second chariot, black horses. Black horses, well, the black is associated with darkness. It's the opposite of white. And the third chariot, white horses. And in the fourth chariot, grizzled and bay horses. So you have two kinds of horses pulling the last chariot. This is very interesting. And this is the message that goes out from the Lord. So the first chariot, which is red, must be the church period of martyrdom, which came after the apostolic period. Or this is the way in which we would interpret it if we want to compare it with the book of Revelation. So what time period did we have after the period of martyrdom of the early church? Well, the church 
apostatized and went into syncretism. Constantine, so-called, was converted, and paganism came rushing into the church, and the gospel was darkened and blackened, and this is what we call the Dark Ages. Black horses. And the third chariot, white horses. Now, white is the color of righteousness. So you had a period of martyrdom, of sacrificial witness to the gospel. Then you had a period of dark ages. And then you returned to a period of white horses. So where do we have a time period of white horses? Well, if we go to the book of Revelation, and we go to chapter 3, and we find there the message to the church of Sardis. It says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis, this is the time period of the Reformation, these things says he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest, and art dead. It's a rather strange statement. So the Reformation for a time had a reputation of being alive, representing God, and then it fizzles out. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain and are ready to die. For I have not find thy works perfect before God. There were some issues that the Reformation never addressed. They were confronted with it. The issue of the Sabbath was addressed at the Council of Trent and they had an opportunity to accept it. But the church decided to capitulate. And so Rome was established on the basis of tradition and scripture as a consequence. So their work was not complete. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, you shall not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So the prerequisite is you have to watch. You have to study the signs of the times. You have to study the scriptures to know when the time of visitation shall be. And if we look at the signs of the times in the world today, then I think uh, any discerning student of the Bible will say that the time of the coming of the Lord must be near. But if you become complacent, well, then you will not know that the time is near. But then it has this verse 4. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, the Reformation period, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So here is the first white gospel message that goes out. This must be a reference to those reformers who stood for the principle of righteousness by faith and accepted the gospel as it is recorded in these pages and made sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola Christo, sola fides, made that their foundation upon which they stood. So an element of white comes into the message. But the work is not complete. It's not complete. And so we go to the next church, 
which is in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. So out of the Reformation comes a movement gathering the people from all the reformers. And this is the church of Philadelphia. And it says, These things says he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. The depth of this is, is amazing, the open and shut door. But we're not dealing with the book of Revelation today. We're dealing with the book of Zechariah, so we won't go into those details. But the point that I'm trying to make is the following. For thou hast little strength, it's not a very big group, and have kept my word, and has not denied my name. And behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, or Christians, because that's what they were called, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because they have kept my word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. So, here you have a church coming out of a gospel that had elements of white in it and is purified. So, if we go back to the book of Zechariah, then the first chariot, red horses, is the period after the apostolic church. We're in the valley. We're in the valley. The apostolic church was a pure church, the unadulterated gospel of God. They had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the early rain. They spoke in tongues. They communicated the gospel in their own mother tongue to many nations, tribes, and people. And they were on fire for the Lord. And thousands were baptized in a single day. That is the pure mountain. Then comes the, the time of martyrdom, and then comes the time of darkness, and then the white gospel goes out again. But it's not perfect, according to the book of Revelation, but it finds fulfillment in the church of Philadelphia. Now, which church would that be? Well, that would be the time period when the Millerites were preaching. And they went to all the denominations and preached about the coming of the Lord and the doctrines that had been neglected were being rediscovered and they were being preached in a new form and in the purity that is akin to the first one. So you have a period when this gospel is going out. But it's still in the valley. And after this period, well, the scene changes. And all of a sudden, you have a fourth chariot with grizzled and bay horses. And I answered and said unto the angel that talked with me, What are these, my lord? And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens, which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. The black horses which are therein, go forth into the north country. Well, that's fascinating. They go into the north country, and the north country, of course, is Babylon. In the Bible, 
the north country, is Babylon. So if we're talking about spiritual Babylon, and then we're talking about the time period when the old Babylonian religion was resurrected in Roman Catholicism, the worship of Semiramus and the son Tammuz, the mother and child worship, which was set up. So the black horses are the time period when the gospel is curtailed by the Babylonian system. They go into the north country and the white go forth after them. So after this time period of apostasy, the church preaching in sackcloth, you have the Reformation and you have the first elements of white and you have Martin Luther resurrecting the doctrines of justification by faith, the cornerstone of Protestantism. The atonement becomes a prominent feature of that gospel. Roman Catholicism denies the atonement. Jesus didn't die for you. His good works atone for you, as do the good works of Mary, as do the good works of the saints, which become part of the treasury of merit. There is no atonement in Roman Catholicism. There is no atonement in Islam. There is no atonement in Buddhism. There is no atonement in paganism of any kind. The black horses, which are the in, go forth to the north country, Babylon. The white go forth after them. So where do they go? They go to the same area, to the same churches. So the Reformation initially didn't want to separate. They didn't want to create a new church. They were eventually forced to. The same with the Millerites. The Millerites didn't want to create a new church. They went to all the existing Protestant denominations. But eventually they were forced to separate because they were no longer tolerated. And then come the grizzled and the bay horses. Now the bay went forth and sought to go that they might walk to and fro through the earth. And he said, Get ye hence, walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they walked to and fro through the earth. Now, God sends his people to go and minister to the world. And there are two kinds of horses pulling this last chariot. Now, this is rather a fascinating story. You have the bay horses, which is also a kind of red, a brightish red. So it also has the element of persecution in it. And this component of the last chariot goes into all the world and to and fro in the world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. So this is the universal aspect of the spreading of the gospel by the last chariot. But then there's another component. Verse 8. Then cried he upon me and spoke unto me, saying, Behold, these that go towards the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country. They have quieted my spirit in the north country. So you had the black horses, which are therein, and they went to the north country. They went to uh, the Babylonian period or the, the new Babylon 
because Martin Luther, remember, he said that the church was captive to Babylon when he wrote this document, the Babylonian captivity of the church, speaking about Roman Catholicism that had held the church captive. And then it talks about the white that go after them. This is the Reformation time period that sets the record straight. And the grizzled go forth towards the south country. Now the last chariot is pulled by these two kinds of horses, the grizzled and the bay. The bay, as we have seen, go throughout the world and preach the gospel. They're following the gospel commission. But the grizzled, they go towards the south. Now the south in scripture represents Egypt, the ways of the world. Now, how is it possible that one chariot can be pulled by two kinds of horses, the one, bay, going to all the world and spreading the gospel according to the gospel commission, and the other, grizzled, going towards Egypt? Now, where do we find a situation in the world like that? Well, if we look at the book of Revelation, and we go back to that chapter, what follows after the church of Philadelphia? Well, it is the church of Laodicea. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold, or cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased in goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So we need this gold, this faith, this true faith, this true righteousness, this character change. So the last church that is mentioned in the book of Revelation is a divided church. You have various categories of people. You have lukewarm people, pure warmers. You have cold people. You have warm people. And it is a divided church. So in the same sense here, in the book of Zechariah, the last church, or the last gospel message is divided. You have one half pulling towards Egypt and the other half fulfilling the commission. Now you cannot have a, a chariot that is being pulled in two ways. You'll rip everything apart. So something must happen. Sooner or later, one of those two groups must be cut off from the chariot. And seeing that it's God's message, the grizzled will have to be cut off. And then God will have a church that does what God proclaimed that it should do. And only once that shaking has taken place, once the grizzled and the bay have been separated, 
then we can set up the second mountain of the Lord, where once again the gospel will go out to the world in an unadulterated form. So you have the two mountains, the one representing the gospel in its purity, the apostolic church, as it was during the early reign. And then you have the gospel periods. And finally, you will have a church that is divided between a secular arm and an arm that is trying to stay true to the gospel and going to and fro throughout the world, spreading the message. And there will be conflict in the church. There will be a shaking. And then the latter rain will be poured out as the early rain was. And the group that receives the latter rain will represent again the mountain of brass between those two periods. So this is right at the end of time. Verse 9. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Take of them of the captivity, even of Haldai and Tobiah, and of Jediah, which are come from Babylon, and come thou the same day, and go into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Then take silver and gold, and make crowns, and set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, reference to Jesus Christ, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. So after this time period, when these churches will have done their work, and finally there is the shaking, and a pure gospel goes to the world again under the power of the latter rain, that is when many from Babylon will come in. You will have your Haldai's, you will have your Tobias, and uh, they will come in and they will, together with God's people, construct the house of the Lord. So they will have heeded the message of Revelation, the second angels, which says Babylon has fallen, and the loud cry which says, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins. And God will set up his final kingdom that will never be removed. So between... The two, you have the various dispensations of the gospel preaching and then the final kingdom. And he, that's the Messiah, that's Jesus Christ, shall build the temple of the Lord, his church, and he shall hear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. So God's people... And God will be in perfect harmony. There will be a council of peace amongst God's people and between them and God. The covenant promises will be restored. And crowns shall be to Helam and to Tobiah and to Jediah and to Hen, the son of Zephaniah, for a memorial in the temple of the Lord. What an amazing promise that those that come out of Babylon will join up with God's people and they will receive crowns of glory because they have made a stand for the Lord. So basically, Zechariah is telling us that the last church consists of two factions, 
that these two factions will be pulling in different directions, but eventually there will be a shaking. And God's message of truth based on the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy, will once again go into all the world for all nations. And many people will come out of Babylon to replace those that have been shaken up and they will take their stand on the Lord's side. And the Lord will build his kingdom. And they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord. This can only happen under the outpouring of the Spirit of God under the latter rain. So this is the final mountain of brass. It is yet future. But I believe that the time is very, very short. And soon there will be a shaking. And God will spew out of his mouth, according to the promise in the book of Revelation, those that want to be grizzled and want to go back to the doctrines of Egypt and secularism and bring in all these worldly uh, ways of worship back into the church. If I can ask a question, what did it take to keep the people in the church under the disciples' rule? when the outpouring of the Spirit took place, when those tongues of fire settled on the heads of those disciples and the Bible says they were of one accord. Was it a worship style? Was it music? Was it spiritual formation? Was it emerging church technology or ideology that kept them going? No, they were on fire for the truth. Unadulterated truth. And so it will be at the end as well. So many that will come from far off, people that we do not even know that have been touched by the yeast of the gospel spreading by those that were willing to go to and fro in the earth and take this message, sometimes under great trial and opposition from the grizzled horses in our midst. They shall come and they shall build the temple of the Lord and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you and this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So the condition has always been the same. If we will diligently obey the voice of the Lord, then this will come to pass. And I believe that the time is very soon when these verses will go into fulfillment. So after this time period of the spreading of the gospel under these not-so-favorable conditions, there will come a shaking, a cleansing of the church, and the second mountain will be established. And to that mountain, the people will come and join themselves to God amidst a time of trouble such as never was. So let's read about these events as we continue. The visions are now complete. We have the eight visions, and I believe they span the time periods of history that we've experienced in the Christian church. Chapter 7, Then it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day, in the ninth month, even in Chislew. When they had said unto the house of God, Cherizah and Regemelech, 
And they meant to pray before the Lord, and to speak unto the priests which were in the house of the Lord of hosts, and to the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month, separating myself, as I have done these so many years? Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land, and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, and in those seventy years, did you at all fast unto me, even to me? And when ye did eat, when ye did drink, did not ye eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Should ye not hear the words which the Lord has cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity, and the cities thereof around about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain? In other words, God is reminding them what a true fast is. When they fasted in the past, what did they fast for? They fasted for their loss. They were in captivity. And uh, was that a true fast? Or was it the fast that God requires, the fast of a changed heart, the fast of right impulses to spread the message? So we're getting a little idea of what God requires of his final church. Should ye not hear the words which the Lord has cried by the former prophets? In other words, believe the prophets and you will be established. When Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity and the cities thereof around about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain. So God is saying to his people, return to the good old ancient paths. Believe the prophets. Trust in the word of God. Build your foundation upon a thus says the Lord. And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment. Show mercy, compassion, every man to his brother. Oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. So again, we're talking about the principles of the law. Second tablet, relationship with your neighbor. Verse 11, but they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder, stopped their ears, that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law. And the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in the spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it is come to pass that as he cried, and they would not hear, so they cried, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind amongst all the nations whom they knew not, as the land was desolate after them, that no man passed through nor returned, for they laid pleasant land desolate. So as it was in ancient Israel, so it was in the Christian church. The first gospel was pure, it was unadulterated. It was in the righteousness of Christ. And then came the various components in between that we discussed. And then again, it will be established on the basis of obedience to God's requirements. Not because you have to, but because it is in your heart to do so. Chapter 8. Again the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion, 
with a great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus says the Lord, I am returned into Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. So here is the promise that there will be a restoration in spite of the time periods of apostasy. You know, we look at apostasy and we say, where's God in all of this? God permits apostasy to come into our ranks to wake us up. When apostasy becomes so great that when we see it at every turn, then we will be able to once again say, but where is the truth? And apostasy that is so blatantly obvious that a child can see it should drive one back to the word of God, to the truth foundation. So he will establish his church, even out of an apostate system. Thus says the Lord of hosts, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem and every man with his staff in his hand for every age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. In spite of what happened, God will still prevail. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of the people in these days, should it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts? Do you think it won't happen? It will. There will be a remnant. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. I will save them from the two sides of the compass. I will save them from eastern ideologies. I will save them from the false ideologies that have been brought in by false teachers many of them from Ignatius Loyola's imaginations. And I will bring them and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Those are the two pillars. Truth and righteousness. What is truth? Thy word is truth. Jesus is the truth. The law is the truth. Those are the definitions. Righteousness Righteousness comes from Christ and Christ alone. Verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, ye that hear in these days these words by my mouth of the prophets. Always go back to the prophets. If we neglect the prophets that God has sent us and the remnant has a prophetic gift, if we neglect it, we pay the consequences which were in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, that the temple might be built. For before these days there was no hire for man, nor any hire for beast, neither were there any peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction. For I set all man, every one against his neighbor. So there was turmoil. But in the midst of the turmoil, God raises up prophets. And if you heed the prophets... Well, then you will find peace, you will find rest. But now, I will not be unto the residue of the people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. So there's going to come a change. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give her fruit, and the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. 
The promise of the restoration of God's church to apostolic purity is the focus of chapter 8. And it shall come to pass that as you were a curse amongst the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you and ye shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. This is an amazing promise of restoration. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I thought to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I repented not, I did it, I punished them. So again, have I thought in these days to do well unto Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, fear ye not. So typologically, the church of Christ will be restored. Now let's listen to this restoration. These are the things that you shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. So what is it about? Witnessing. If we selfishly harbor the gospel and cling to it, well, then we will starve because only by sharing can your cup be filled again. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Your gates, judgment. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor and love no false off. So here you have the two tablets of the law. Love to your neighbor and no swearing, false oaths to God. Love to God. For all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. Back into harmony with the word of God. Verse 18. And the word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fourth of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore love the truth and peace. No more false past fasting. No more works-based uh, righteousness. Working in the fear of the Lord and by His power. Thus says the Lord of hosts, It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts of Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all the languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew or a Christian, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. There is the promise of the restoration of the remnant. There will be few. But it will be an outpouring of the Spirit because the heart has been brought back into harmony with God's Word. And ten people out there will grab hold of the skirt of one who has the truth and say, I will come with you. I will come to the house of the Lord. And we will see a restoration such as the world has never witnessed. God's Word will triumph. God's truth will triumph. God's righteousness will be established within the earth. We must do our part. We must ask God to change our hearts so that we can be part 
of this final movement, this final kingdom of brass that will be set up and last for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a sad story of history that your church has seen much turmoil, many apostasies. You raised up a church in white and it didn't take long before it was again split into factions, some moving towards Egypt while others are trying to fulfill the gospel commission. And Lord, I know that a time of restoration will come. There will be an outpouring of the latter rain. And the people of Babylon, trapped in Babylon, your people, will come and take hold of the skirt of one man and say, let us go and pray in the house of the Lord. Thank you for these promises. And I pray that we may have the privilege of being a part of them. In Jesus' name, amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.